Founders face mentors and masters. I'm Captain Hoff, CEO of Founderspace, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. I am here with Kara Golden, founder of Hint and author of Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. It is wonderful to have you on the show. Why don't you tell our audience a little about yourself? Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, so I'm the I created my company. If we if we had video, you would see I have a bottle of cherry hint right in front of me. Uh, so my company is Hint, and created that. Uh, gosh just over 16 years ago now. And I did it during a time that I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. I had actually been in tech prior to founding a beverage company. Uh, never really thought about being an entrepreneur, never really thought about being a beverage entrepreneur. But what I was thinking about in my life was my health. And I had gained a bunch of weight I had developed terrible adult acne and I had small little kids that I was trying to really guide in the right direction of getting away from sugary drinks. And when one day when I looked down at my diet soda, I realized that a lot of the ingredients in diet soda were not familiar to me. And I thought, why am I drinking something that I don't understand? And that was the first moment that I realized that maybe diet is not really good for me. Why do I think that it's good for me? Sort of playing a, a word game with myself in some ways. And so I thought I'm going to try it for two weeks and see if I give up, give, give up drinking diet soda, if I feel better, didn't think it would actually work, maybe not even work that quickly, but I was surprised to see that just by giving up diet soda, drinking plain water, that I lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. And that's amazing. See, people don't realize this. And that was diet soda. That wasn't even the full sugar soda, which is worse for you, as we know. So for those, for our audience out there who doesn't know what Hint is, and most people do these days, it's, a, it's, it's like everywhere on all the store shelves. It is basically a drink that is water with flavors, natural flavors. And it is wonderful. I'll tell you, I love it. And I'm from Silicon Valley and I, it's an institution like Hint is in almost every startup's cafeteria or every startup's, you know, kitchen. They have Hint there for people to drink for exactly that reason, because people want a healthy drink. They want something that tastes good, you know, that perks them up, but doesn't contain all the junk that's in these junk drinks that we, we consume all these different sodas. So you had this vision you know, you were experimenting out of your kitchen. I read your book, Undaunted. It's a fantastic book, by the way. So anybody out there who's thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, you have to read Undaunted. It's like, the, it's one of those wonderful stories that of a founder that 
care so much about their product that they will just do anything, even when it's, you know, the hurdles you, you had to surmount were, were enormous. So why don't we go back to your story? You have, you came up with this idea, you know, that epiphany, and then you had to actually make it a reality. What did you do next? Well, people started noticing that, first of all, I had taken a couple of years off. I had been at America Online prior to taking a couple of years off. I was running their partnerships, shopping partnerships for AOL. So dealing with all kinds of retailers and building out a marketplace for AOL. It was a billion dollars in revenue for AOL when I left. There were, I was there for seven years. And prior to that, I had been with a little startup that was doing something called CD-ROM Shopping, a company called Two Market that was acquired by America Online. That's how I got to America Online. So people naturally thought that I would stay in tech. I thought I would stay in tech. And when I stumbled upon this, th this idea, I, I don't even know if it was an idea to launch a beverage as much as it was, it was this concept that I had been like, never thought about it prior to actually just doing what I just laid out, giving it up, that that could actually be the catalyst for health, right? Like that could actually be the thing that allowed not only me, but so many other people to get healthy. So while people were coming to me saying, hey, when are you going to come back to work? Like, when are you going to start looking for a job? There's this offer over here at some company that, you know, you should definitely look at. I was just intrigued by this whole new world that existed out there around not just diet sweeteners, but also around the beverage industry as a whole. Yeah, and, and you, I want to say something. A lot yeah. of people don't get this. Um, first of all, when you drink a sweet drink, even if it's a diet drink, that may not be adding calories to your body, but the more sweet things you consume, the more you want sweets. Totally. It's like, it's like a psychological addiction. So if you're drinking a lot of diet soda, yeah, the soda may not be adding a lot of calories. It may be adding a lot of chemicals to your body that you don't really need or want in your body, but it will also stoke that craving you have for cake or whatever, you know, whatever oh, dessert candy. And that is exactly the thinking that I was thinking about, that it's just, we're, I had been conditioned to think that diet was better, right? That that was fine, that I don't need to worry about, you know, how much I'm having because it's healthier and better for me. And then when I had done this test in my life and that just wasn't the case, I think like the key thing that people noticed was that I lost a bunch of weight. And when I lost a bunch of weight and they hadn't seen me in a couple of months, that's when they'd say, what did you do? And then I would share my story and they'd say, really, I've never really thought about that. And, you know, when you can pique somebody's curiosity and, and this, I think is, is a bigger lesson, right? For founders, when, when you have something that people people are curious about, right? They're, they, they want to go down the river with you, right? They want to sit here and think a little bit more with you about something. That's when you know there's something here, 
right? And, and when you want to take your precious time that we all know, uh, maybe even more so over the last couple of years, that it's, that it is, that was the thing that I thought, I don't know what's here initially, but it's definitely something. And, and the, I want to say something. You yeah. are the classic founder in that you were building a product for yourself. Like this was something yeah. you wanted. Like you, what I love about your story is, you know, you weren't out there like trying to make a product for other people. You were literally making these non-sweet, but very flavorful water drinks out of your home for your kids, like with, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables. And you said, you know, interestingly, you, this wasn't a tech company, but actually I think it is because, yeah. you know, after reading your book, you had to go through so many iterations on this product and you had to figure out how to like make this drink, this flavorful drink with no preservatives, no artificial flavors, nothing artificial about it and actually have it uh, be able to be put on a store shelf for an extended period of time. That, uh, and if anybody reads your book, they'll figure, they'll, they'll see that was a huge thing that had never been done before. And no, so you had yeah, it was, it was massive. And I think that there were these challenges that would come up and I, you know, it's the, the thing is, is that as I was going through those challenges, I would think back on my days in tech. Again, this was my first startup that I founded, but I had worked for directly or indirectly Ted Turner at CNN um, Steve Case at AOL. Uh, I never worked at Apple, but the product that I had worked on, uh, the shopping product, was a little-known Steve Jobs idea. And I worked for five guys who did work for Steve. So I kept thinking about the lessons that I had learned in tech. And I think in many ways that there, there is so much more risk-taking that is done in tech, maybe because the industry is not as old, um, not as established. Maybe there is a thinking that you have to just keep adding on. The, the whole concept of upgrading um, version two, right? There's, there's that thinking versus this industry that I was walking into. Think about it. Like, you know, you've got a product like, Coca-Cola, you launch it and it's either it's great or it's not. Right. And they, even when they add ingredients to it, maybe in rare cases, they say the new and improved, but otherwise they don't call attention to it. They just keep adding more things to it. And it, they never really look at it or, or sort of own the idea that we've gotten it better. Do you know what I'm saying? That it yes, was, that, with, was the, with that was the stuff that I had learned in another industry and brought it over to this. So things like figuring out how to do a product with no preservatives. It, it, nobody had done that. And I kept asking the question, why? Which was a common question in tech that I would hear every day. You weren't insulting somebody by asking them why. You were curious. And yet that was not something that was just a, a way to do business every day in the beverage industry. And I, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah. And they, you know, the other thing I love about your experience that you had is everybody was telling you it's impossible, which is what people always say when they haven't done it. 
And you just stuck to your guns. But it really, at a certain point uh, in the evolution of this product, it seemed impossible to actually get a product that would have a long shelf life and still have no preservatives. And yeah. And we were basically being told that, I mean, maybe some people think, what's the big deal about preservatives? I mean, first of all, we didn't think that it was the best thing to have in our product, but the the core thing was that we wanted to have a longer shelf life and to get a longer shelf life without having preserved preservatives in the product was just, it hadn't been done. And when you're doing something that hasn't been done, the easy answer is it can't be done. Yet the thing is, is that it it quite possibly could be done. It just hasn't been done yet. And, and, and you actually did it. And that's the amazing thing because, you know, a lot of founders, and this is a lesson for founders, a lot of them would have capitulated. They would have literally said, ah, oh, okay, we'll add preservatives. Like we'll make this exception. But you, when you started that product, you had like, you had your own, uh, I should say ethical stance. You were like, I'm going to make a product that's really good for you. Like that's what the hint brand is. And we're never going to go against that. So no matter how many times you failed, which you, it seems like you failed many, many times to actually get this, extend the shelf life, you just kept trying. Yeah. And, you know, I think back on those moments when I was running into people who would say, it just can't be done, right? You've, you've always got your, your doubters. The thing that I kept thinking about is in tech, I would, I would learn a way to uh, keep iterating, keep going. From other industries, again, I didn't necessarily know those industries, but I kept thinking that there are examples where this is done. So I started looking at the cosmetics industry. I started looking at uh, at even the food industry and thinking, well, if they can do it there, what is it about those products that is similar to this product? What is it about those products that makes it different? All of those kind of things and brought it in to what I was doing with our product. And I bring this up just because so often I think people have a much more narrow focus on looking at the competition, right? They're sitting here looking at what other people have done uh, maybe in, within their industry. And the thing is, is that you can actually think much broader when you look outside of your industry. When you, when you look not only at other products or how they actually develop those products, but in our case, even when we were looking at going to market, um, I mean, I looked a lot at, at D2C companies, Warby Parker and some others when I was really trying to figure out our D2C strategy because nobody was doing what I wanted to do in the beverage industry. So- yeah. And you know what else is interesting? So not only did you have the huge technical hurdles to overcome, which are really big, which you managed to do, you had an industry bias to overcome because like you went to these big executives at the big sugar drink companies, you know, we don't have to name them, the giants. And they, they told, would tell you, you know, even if you can overcome all these technical hurdles, nobody will buy your product. Because people want sweet drinks. They don't want drinks that don't taste sweet. And again, you just 
didn't listen to them. You kept going your own path. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I I think I listened, but I didn't I, I didn't take what they said to heart because what I realized, and I think the more journeys you have, maybe you look at it the, the older you get. And I wasn't that old when I was going through this process, but what I realized is that the the larger companies don't tend to be able to think differently. And I had seen that a lot in tech. So I had, you know, watched the Microsofts of the world and, and the Xeroxes and the Kodaks of the world. And I kept thinking that, you know, those are great examples in history where they were big, uh, they had lots of cash, um, they were confident, um, cocky, arrogant. I mean, however you, uh, viewed uh, viewed those companies and kind of frame it for your own uh, company that you're working on and who are those competitors out there. But sometimes it, it, the fault of those companies is that you've got executives that can't actually think differently. They can't innovate. Instead, they have to keep on path with whatever they're saying is the case. And that was what I was seeing in front of me. I didn't go to uh, the soda executive the, uh, in Atlanta to, um, to kind of hear him talk. I, I actually went to, to try and see if he could help me figure out this shelf life with no preservatives and also potentially a distribution deal. And I very quickly learned that I wasn't going to get either of those out of him. So instead, what I realized just by listening to him was that he wasn't on to what I was on to in, in terms of wanting to create an unsweetened flavored water with no sweeteners, no preservatives in it. But what he did have that I didn't have was money, right? Like that he, if I talked too much, I could probably convince him that I was onto something. Here I was a consumer who drank, you know, 10 plus cans of Diet Coke a day. I was a good customer of his and now I was gone. And he didn't seem to understand that or frankly value that at all, uh, that, I, that I was gone. And which, so, is, which is very common for people in established industries. Like they're the yeah. market leader. They've made their job selling these, these uh, sweet sodas for, for decades, sometimes a century. And they don't see the world changing. They don't want it to change. That's, that's their empire. So it takes people like you who say no. You know, we tastes have changed. People have become much more educated on what's good for their bodies. There is a market here that may not have existed 10 or 20 years ago. And, and I think the more you can like remember that, you know, on those hard days when you're trying to create something and, you know, maybe there's super successful people, successful companies out there, um, you know, that you worry that they're, um, you know, that they're going to crush you like a bug if, if they uh, get going on your product. The, the thing that you have to remember is what is your why? How can you differentiate in a market and what problem are you solving for the consumer? 
because that's, that is the key difference for your product versus the big guys who have more money and speed, right? I think that 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 is the thing. I knew that he had a big cruise ship that was going to be difficult to turn around. He had a lot of people who he had really been articulating a message around lower calories and sweeter drinks, not no calories and no sweeteners. That's a different message. Totally different was what you were coming out of left field. You know, the interesting thing is your company is now worth a quarter of a billion dollars and growing. So you've, you, you know, you achieved your dream. You went from you and I love it. You brought in your husband, you hired your husband to work, work with you to do everything. And, and the, the kind of wonderful thing about the book Undaunted for those out there who want to read it is that you, I love what I loved about your book is you make it very personal. So you uh, talk really about your emotions every step of the way, uh, what your fears were, what your doubts were, what you know, what what got you, made you elated, you know, when you s- succeeded, and we're there along with you for this kind of wild ride where you and your husband are literally carrying cases of hint into the grocery store and hoping they take them. <laughs> hoping they put them on the shelf. And I loved there. There was a scene in your book where your husband, where the shelf life wasn't working. And one of the hint bottles became very cloudy with, I think it was yeast that had was in there, but it wasn't toxic. It was like fine for you, but it it had, it was cloudy. So he like, he told the guy at the grocery store, he's like, no, this is fine to drink. And he just drank it, right? (laughs) The cloudy drink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, maybe many people are are who are listening to this podcast don't uh, haven't dealt with a food product but yes uh, it, it is um look we wanted everybody including us to be alive right when this when the whole thing was said and done and we didn't want to get sick along the way and we very early on we found uh based in San Francisco, we found this lab in South San Francisco. And there's many food entrepreneurs that just laugh uh, when I share this because we never used like a consultant. We just kind of figured the stuff out. And then in order to make sure we were doing the right things, we would send our product to this food lab in South San Francisco to get it tested. So I would frequently go uh, pick up the lab samples. So I was confident you know, that it might not look right, but it's not going to kill you. And <laughs> yes. before kombucha and some of the other things that were, you know, essentially mold, uh, you know, inside of a drink that you could, that you could drink that maybe didn't look that great. Um, but it was, you know, it was challenging because of course we had a little, we were confident that we weren't going to get sick or die, but we also felt like, do we really know what we're doing? And yet I think that that's, there's this feeling when you don't have the industry experience, um, you've got this vision to develop something new. You believe that there are customers out there that actually would really benefit from this drink, really want this drink, but you get these little challenges along the way where you think, I think we're done, right? Like, I think this is what's going to kill us. And that is the story 
that I really wanted to share with founders, consumers, um, other entrepreneurs who are just, or people even thinking maybe I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't know because every single day are those little things that come up that you think this is what's going to crush it, or this is what's going to make the company. And I think that it's, it's not that simple. Right. And I was talking to an entrepreneur this morning, just give you an example where she was sharing, uh, she reached out to me and wanted some advice. And uh, she had just gotten into Target. She's really excited. She's going to go all over and chain wide at Target. And she's going in with a distributor. And uh, I happen to know the distributor that she's going in with. And I know that there's a lot of details in the paperwork that they send back. And, and I know three or four companies, startups that have just been crushed by. Oh my God. Right. Of it. where You know, you think that you're just paying to have product put on the shelf when you're actually, you know, shipping product first across multiple zones and you you're paying for um, labor costs and gas prices. And then all of a sudden, you're paying Target to put your product on the shelf. Right. You're, there's no profit margin there. <laughs> you might Nothing. even be I mean, losing money. I mean, you're literally paying it. And I can, you know, I, I can count, like I said, three or four entrepreneurs that have had to just go out of business because it killed them. And so, again, it starts with the story of we got into Target, you know, which, which is great. But if you haven't thought about the other details, then... those are the details that can crush you. Right. And you had this too, getting your product on the shelf. And one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, I really believe it's great for entrepreneurs to have some control over their destiny. So like you said, like getting in a big chain store seems great on the surface, but it can actually be the worst thing you ever did for your business. Totally. But you did something really smart that other entrepreneurs can learn from. And that is that you took a you took a lot of time to build direct channels to your customers because you knew that there are people out there who, who your brand and your, that your philosophy and, you know, uh, around healthiness and making products that are good for you really resonate with them. So I was surprised to hear because I buy all my drinks, you know, in the grocery store. Um, but I was surprised to hear how much of your business comes from direct online sales. Yeah. And, you know, that almost happened, even though I had been in the direct to consumer e-commerce industry, it's, it's interesting because it kind of happened by accident after we had started selling in Amazon and right when Amazon was really beefing up their grocery offerings, I, we were doing well in Amazon, but I had heard back from a buyer that the interesting thing about our product versus other food and beverage products that they'd been dealing with was that many people who were buying Hint were also buying things that help them with their diabetes, um, you know, whether that's a, you know, insulin um, monitor or, um, or maybe they're also buying other products that lead 
the analyst at Amazon to believe that this consumer has a healthy halo desire over them. Mm. And I remember thinking, that's so fascinating. And he said, yeah, usually there's a lot of people who come into Amazon where they're just shopping for grocery and maybe they go over to books, but the fact that they're going from your product into kind of pharmaceutical products, or they're going over to buy uh, something in sports that, that, you know, shows that they're going to start exercising more or whatever that is. And I was fascinated by this conversation so much so that I said to the buyer, can you give me some of those emails of customers? Because I'm going to reach out to them. I want to understand this consumer more because I started Hint because I was trying to get healthier. And the stories that you're sharing with me that kind of type my consumer lead me to believe that it's all about health, but they're different types of health, how people define health. And yes. he wouldn't give me the emails because, I mean, he probably would have, but he said Jeff Bezos would never allow me to give you the emails. So you was, suddenly realized that Amazon was in control. You weren't in control of your destiny. You didn't have a, a direct communication with your customer, which is so important. Well, and that was the moment, though, that I thought, I remember the buyer saying to me, do you get emails from Target or, or Whole Foods or any of the other retailers that you deal with? And I was like, no, but that's different. And he said, how is it different? He said, we're no different. You're, it, we're buying your product. And there's a few different ways to deal with Amazon. But back then, I mean, they were, they were warehousing our product. They were buying it. They were invoicing it. He said, how is it different? And I said, that's a really good point. So it was that moment that I thought, if I want this type of information from my consumer and that connection to my consumer, then I need to set up my own store. And yeah. that's what we did. This is a really important lesson for entrepreneurs because uh, in today's world, with these big giants like Amazon, they want to control all the data because they know how valuable that is. Like sure. th that is their uh, key to, con you know, their business. And they're not going to just let you have it, even though you're, you know, it's your product and you're selling through them. They're also taking a cut of every sale. So if you can start building your own direct traffic on your own website, your own e-commerce site, where you have a dialogue with your customers, and that's what you did, think that's golden. And that's something really every entrepreneur should think of first. Like it's good to get on Amazon. You can learn a lot. Uh, maybe it's good to go into Target. Maybe not, depending on what deal you get. But it's always good um, for you uh, to have a place where you directly connect with your customer. Absolutely. And, and, you know, just to add on to what you said, we're still on Amazon. And, it, you know, Hint sells a lot of hints on Amazon. And what I've realized is that even when you sell on your own direct channels, I think that as long as the deal is the right deal and you're getting new consumers because they're Amazon consumers, they're Kroger consumers, Target consumers, and they'll, they'll decide how they're going to treat that consumer, right? And if the consumer likes the Hint brand, and maybe they're not doing a great job 
of servicing them in some way, which could mean the the right price. It could mean you know out of stocks, in stock, whatever it is. Then they'll come back to. Hopefully, they'll come over to hint if for some reason they're not satisfied. But right. So so it can be a lead into your own site. And, and also, you know, I talk to, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs all the time and ones who are on Amazon, I found they're, they kind of live in fear that at some point Amazon will pull their product because they get too many returns or too many complaints or things like that. So it's nice to have your own channel where you don't have to worry about that. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's a really important, I mean, that sort of leads to Another lesson that I've learned too is that you worry about those things, like what you, what you just mentioned about, you know, returns and out of stocks and all all those type of things when you don't have other options out there. So, when things are, even on the best days, maybe it's it's best to focus on these issues on the best days diversify your offering because if you're sitting here thinking every single day when what happens if i get kicked out what happens and you then that really is talking about you feel like somebody's got you by the throat right and if this goes away tomorrow and and that's the biggest question is are you prepared if that business goes away tomorrow. And it's not just the business. I, I think about this as, about employees, about suppliers, right? Partnerships, all of those things. It's the same lesson. You always need to diversify and have backup plans for everything. Right. Because any of those can go away at any time on a lot of times when you least expect it. And I know I won't give it away for the readers, but there are times in your book where that exact thing happened and you had to go through those growing pains. You know, another thing about your product that I think is really important for entrepreneurs to understand is that your product has a following who are passionate about it and they are repeat buyers. So I always tell entrepreneurs out there, if you're going to build a business, buy it on one where you can get repeat buyers, where they don't just buy your product once and walk away, but where you have that relationship with them. And I think you did a really excellent job of building your brand, building the relationship, listening to your customers constantly and innovating based on that feedback. You know, I, Kara, I would love to talk to you even more because there's so many more things that we could talk about. We are out of time, but to wrap up, I'd like you to tell everybody where they can find you and where they can find your book. Absolutely. Well, Kara Golden with an eye all over social and the book is called Undaunted uh, in bookstores on Amazon and hopefully you'll get a chance to do either of those look for either me or or the book and grab a case of hint as well a bottle of hint uh, while you're enjoying the book and uh, thank you so much for having me hopefully I get to hear from all of you as well I hope you enjoyed the show if you liked it hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.